Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message you're about to listen to is from our series, I Am Feeling, with Pastor Omar Lopez. His message today is entitled, I Am Feeling Doubt. We so appreciate all of you being here. Are you glad you're in the house of God? Yeah. All right. Turn to someone, say you're in the right place, at the right time, right now. Well, praise God. We just appreciate all of you making the effort. I know we have to go through some extra things here to make it all work, but uh, we're glad. I'll take what I can get. Hallelujah. And uh, I've talked to several pastors. They said, well, you know, if we can't do everything that we normally do, we're not going to have church. I said, well, I don't know, man. I'm going to take what I can get. If I, it don't matter if I have to wear a mask, I have to be distant. I'm going to take what I can get. And uh, like I said, it feels better with people in the building, hallelujah, and uh, I, 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 I know that it takes an extra effort for all of you, uh, but we appreciate your faithfulness and taking the extra step so that we can be together this morning to worship the Lord and um, just believing God that it's going to be over soon, hallelujah, but in the meantime, we'll do what we can do and, uh, you know, if, if we can manage to make it a Walmart and Home Depot, we can make it to the house of God, hallelujah. And so uh, we welcome everyone. We're, we welcome all those that are online, uh, a lot of people uh, online with us, and, and uh, we so appreciate them. And uh, we're just going to get on with this message today. Uh, we are on a series called I Am Feeling. And what we're talking about is our different emotions. And again, we didn't plan this because of the pandemic. We planned it, you know, three or four months ago that we would be talking about our emotions and here we are uh, during this whole pandemic, uh, how our emotions are and how our emotions make a difference in our lives. And we're talking about how we can be very emotional and how could God help us in our emotion. And I, I want to uh, emphasize the story here that I want to give you the context of this story because I think it really describes uh, where we have been. And I'm going to talk about this morning, I am feeling doubt. Say doubt. Doubt needs to get out, right? And so I'm going to talk about doubt. And I'm going to go on a different angle about doubt than most of us would probably talk about or think about when it comes to doubt. I'm going to get, kind of get doubt and go backwards a little bit. What, what, not just what is doubt, but how do we prevent doubt and the mindset of doubt. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to talk about a story as we get in here in the book of Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, and this is a story uh, most of us are familiar where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with two fishes and five loaves. How many know that's a miracle? And the Bible says that uh, 5,000 were gathered, and yet uh, Matthew tells us that uh, it says this in Matthew 14, 21. I love the way he says it. He says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, and then he said, besides women and children. So in other words, the 5,000 were only counting men, were not including women and children, and how many know that we love to have a lot of children? Hallelujah. <laughs> and so if you really begin to know that, they, many scholars believe it was really about 25,000 people that Jesus fed that day. And they can easily estimate that about 25,000 people were fed in that one 
setting, in that one time where Jesus prayed over the fish, he prayed over the bread, and all of these people ate. And the Bible says this, that 12 baskets of fragments of fish and bread were left over. That's a lot of food. So Jesus was giving out a buffet. How many know what I'm saying? I mean, it was more than enough. And here's the thing about God is he provides us with more than enough. And so I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray that the Lord will minister to you. I, I, can I just be honest with you? feels like a twilight zone looking at you guys with a mask. Keep the mask on, though, okay? Keep the mask on. It feels like the twilight zone, you know? But uh, anyway, I just, I don't know. We need to pray. Hallelujah. Keep your mask on, though. And, and uh, uh, I'll tell you what, God is going to do something good, right? Yeah. Going to do something special today. So, Father, we thank you today. Lord, we come against doubt. We come against unbelief. We come against so many things and obstacles that can hinder our walk. But, God, today that you would open our hearts, you'd open our mind, open our spirit to the word of God. And let it minister to areas, God, that need to be exposed, that need to be healed, that need to be fixed, that need to be adjusted, Lord. I pray today that your spirit would speak into the hearts and souls of people, that they would hear the voice behind the voice in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, so let me give you the context of this story. Jesus in this time has reached the peak of his popularity. In other words, Jesus has now been ministering about two years, and, and people, he's beginning to gain momentum, a great following, and, and people, uh, he's gone into Gal Galilee twice already. This is about the third time now that he goes into Galilee, and this supernatural miracle takes place. The Bible says he feeds 25,000 people. Uh, John records that people are just excited about it. They get so excited that they want to make him king, that they want to make him a ruler, that they want to make him someone that Jesus didn't come to be, but they wanted him to make him king. Now, a couple of reasons I believe they wanted to make him king because Jesus was giving out some free fish and bread. And so they said, man, this guy, we got to make him the king. We got to make him the ruler. And right away, they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to put him up on the top, and he's going to feed us and meet all of our needs. He's going to lead our revolt. He's going to lead our rebellion. He's the one that's going to lead us and give us everything we want. And, and how many know sometimes we can have a mentality of gimme, gimme, gimme? And this is what the people had. They had this mentality that Jesus was going to give them and provide for everything. But how many realize today that Jesus did not come with a political agenda? Jesus did not come with an economic agenda. Jesus did not come with a social agenda. Jesus came with a spiritual agenda. Say spiritual and so when Jesus said, or when the scripture said that Jesus came, the Messiah came to be the king, he came to set up a spiritual kingdom. This is what threw everybody off because they wanted a physical kingdom. They wanted something temporary. They wanted something the way they, they saw it in their mind. They wanted someone to come and provide everything and do everything for them. And Jesus said, no, I didn't come to set up a, a physical kingdom. I came to set up a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that's within you, a kingdom that's inside of you, the kingdom of God that reigns and empowers your life. And so this is what threw everybody off. And so they were mad. They were upset. 
In fact, if you read John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, believe it or not, it said many of his disciples didn't follow him after that. Because Jesus began to talk about commitment. Jesus began to talk about loyalty. He began to talk about denying yourself. See, a lot of people want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to deny themselves. See, a lot of people only want part of the gospel. They don't want all of the gospel. See, we preach a full gospel here this morning. We're talking about self-denial. We're talking about dying to yourself. The Bible says put first or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus knew that their level of commitment was shallow. Their level of commitment was only because of who God, uh, what God was providing, not who he was. If last week you were here, lots of times we, we follow God for the what, not because of who he is. We want what he gives us, what he provides, rather than who he is, all-powerful and almighty. And so Jesus knew that their commitment level was very shallow. So this is what happened after he feeds the 5,000. After all that happens, he tells the disciples, you know what, you need, we need to go over and cross the Galilee. We're going to get away from this region because all these people want is a handout, and we're going to go over to the next region. And so the Bible says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Again, this, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is so powerful that all four gospels record it. There's only two miracles that all four gospels are recorded. It's the feeding of the 5,000 with the fish and the bread and the resurrection of Jesus. So these two miracles are recorded in the book of Mark, the book of Luke, John, and Matthew. And so here it is. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. I'm laying a foundation. I'm, I'm going to get somewhere, okay? So immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. In other words, he compelled them to get into the boat, to go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida or Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away, he's telling the crowd, you need to go home. I'm not, no more breakfast. I'm not, you know, they're, they're waiting for breakfast the next morning. Go home. And bidding them farewell, he left to the mountain to pray. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that, you know what? It's time to go. It's time to move on to the next region. And you know what? We're not going to do everything that these people want us to do. We're not going to provide everything they wanted the, us to provide. You guys need to get in the boat. And he made them get in the boat to, to go into the next region. And it's important because what they're about to experience is some trauma. And we're going to read that in just a minute. Because when they get into that boat, they experience a storm. See, I want you to know, even when you're in the will of God, and even when you're obedient to God, doesn't mean you're not going to face a storm. See, lots of times we think, well, the will of God is going to be smooth sailing. The, the will of God is going to be easy. When God uh, is, uh, you know, tells me to do something, then everything is going to be easy. I'm not going to have to struggle. I'm not going to have to go into any battle. But I want you to know many times when you're in the perfect will of God, guess what? You're in the perfect storm. Many times you're going to face some obstacles. And this is why we need to deal with doubt here because many times we allow our emotions to get in the way. We are emotional people. 
I said it before, and I've been saying it this whole series, is we are a feelings people. We like feelings. We go off on feelings. Somebody say amen. Uh, let me just say, I'm, I think I've said this before, but I want you guys to catch it. There's a world-renowned re- neuroscience scientist who name is Antonio Damasio, I believe is how you pronounce it. And he wrote this book, and he lays out the results of his of his uh, uh, of he lays out the results of his uh, of research, and he suggests this that 95 percent of our decisions are ultimately decided by our feelings and not facts. He therefore says we are feeling machines that think. We are not thinking machines that feel. In other words, in sequence of events, we, we, many of us feel like we think first, but we usually feel first, then we act. We don't act and then we feel. We have to feel it, then we'll do it. If we don't feel it, we don't put any action behind it. And this is why many times we don't get things done. This is why we allow feelings to be the dictator of the day. People say, well, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like being married. I don't feel like working. I don't feel, and it, it causes a lot of problems. Are you with me? Because we feel first and then we act second. And so let me give you a word. How many want a word? How many want a word from God? Okay, I'm not saying this is the prophetic word, okay? But I believe that this is the word that all of us this morning could relate to. And I believe this today, that God's desire for your life. And you say, Pastor, you're going to tell me what God desires for my life? Yes, I can tell you what God desires for your life above everything else. And I can show you scripture why God desires this for you. Are you ready for this? God desires for all of us. God wants change. Say change. Change is my friend. Hallelujah. God desires change. In fact, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Other translation is he's a changed person. So God's desire is that we change. And part of our changing is we need to stop allowing our emotions and our feelings to dictate our lives. Because if we're not careful this morning, it's going to lead us in the wrong direction. See, God is the master of change. God is the expertise in change. God, he's an expertise. He specializes when it comes to change. When God gets involved, when God intervenes, when God gets involved in something, I want you to know it will ultimately change. It will ultimately be transformed. When he puts his hand in it, I can guarantee you it will change. It will be different. Are you with me? See, when God changes something, it isn't something that he just changes it to change it, but he changes it to make it better. I said he changes it to make it better. So when God changes something, he wants to make it better. And how many can testify today that when God got in your life, he made your life better. He transformed your life into something better. You're not what you used to be. See, God wants to make us better. That is his desire. When you're weak, he wants to make you strong. 
When you're bound, he wants to make you free. He wants to make you better. That is his desire. And that's what I pray as I'm ministering the word of God, that God will change us to make us better. To make us better believers, to make us better people. I believe, and let me add this. Can I just add this a little bit? Let me just add this. That God wants to change the way you see you. See, it's not only us changing, but he wants to change the way you see things and the way you see yourself. He wants to change the way, uh, your perspective and how you see things and how you view things. Because a lot of us this morning, your attitude and your outlook in life thinks. And God wants to change that. We can be very pessimistic. We can be very negative. We can be what they call the Debbie Downer. Remember Debbie Downer? Everything's a downer. Everything is terrible. Everything, uh, if you guys don't remember that, I just uh, that Saturday Night Live. Anyway, so what, what if I told you that as I'm putting this series together, it's not just about feelings, but it's about how you evaluate things and how you see things and how you see yourself, not just God. See, a lot of times we say, well, it's how I see God that's all that matters. And I'm here to tell you, you can see God right, but if you see yourself wrong, you're going to go down the wrong path. You've got to begin to change the way you see yourself. Now, let me explain this to you, and I'm going to prove this to you. Out of Numbers chapter 13, the Bible says that the people of God want to go into a land called Canaan. It is the promised land. It is the land that God has promised them, flowing with milk and honey. And the Bible says they go into this land to evaluate the land, to check it out, to see, to spy it out. And they're ready to engage the enemy. They're getting prepared. They're getting ready. And these 12 spies come back. And the scripture says 10 of the spies come back with an evil report or a bad report. And the Bible says when they begin to ask them what's it like, they said, yes, it's exactly the way God describes it. But let me just say this to you. We can't, we can't attack these people. They said, there's no way that we can fight these people. They're stronger than us. They're bigger than us. And they spread a bad report among the people of Israel because they said they're giants in the land. Now, I want you to catch exactly what they say because many times the way we see ourselves makes the difference. Look at what they say in number 13, verse 33. And we were like grasshoppers in our eyes and in their eyes also. So in other words, they said, we look like grasshoppers to us and we look like grasshoppers to them. My question is, how did they even know that? Did they ask them? Did they tell them? Of course not. They, the way they saw themselves is the way they thought others saw them as well. See, if we're not careful, listen to me, we can project how we see ourselves on other people. And it's not true. It's how you see yourself that makes a difference. And if we're not careful, we let our emotions get in there and how we see ourselves, we try to project it on them and that's how they see us. Can I be honest as a pastor today? I have many people sometimes, they'll come and they'll say, "Uh, you see me this way, don't you, pastor? 
I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, you, I, I know how you see me. This is how you view me, huh? This is what you think of me, isn't it? I go, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I know you, uh, you, you saw me, but you were thinking this about me. This is how you see me. No, that's how you see yourself, and you're trying to project it on me to be an excuse. Are you hearing me? To leverage that against somebody else to say, see, that's why I don't like church, because I, I see how they view me. They're all judging me. No one's even said an opinion about you, but you're trying to project. Can I preach this morning? No, nobody even said that about you. But because that's how you see yourself, you're trying to project it on other people. So that could be your excuse to say, see, that's why I don't like that church. That's why I don't like those people. They all see me. Nobody even said anything. Nobody even gave their opinion. See, could it be that would cause these people not to possess the land? What if I told you they didn't lose to the giants in the land, but they lost to the grasshopper that was in them? See, it's how you view yourself. Sometimes the problem is not the giant out there, but it's the grasshopper in you. It's how you view you. And sometimes that grasshopper, man, that grasshopper will get you sometimes. Am I right? It's the grasshopper mentality. It's the grasshopper that, that limits. It's the grasshopper to say, I can't win. It's the grasshopper that says, you know, I'm not able to do it. It's that grasshopper that limits everything that God is trying to do. And God is attempting to get us to see ourselves the way he sees us. God sees you as the conqueror, not conquered. He sees you as the victor, not a victim. Hallelujah. That's how God sees you. And so we need to shift the way we see ourselves. Now, I'm getting somewhere because I want you to know when Jesus got the disciples in the boat, they hadn't changed their mentality. And things begin to shift on them. And I want you to read here in Mark chapter 6, verse 48. When they went across the sea now, they're rowing the boat. And it says that he saw that they were in serious trouble. Say trouble. And rowing hard and struggling against what? The wind and the waves. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came walking or came toward them, what? Walking on water. Hallelujah. Man, could you imagine the sight? And he intended to go past them. In other words, Jesus is just kind of taking a stroll, and he's going to pass them by. They go, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on a second. You know, they, they can't believe it. And the Bible says, but when they saw him walking on water, what did they think? They, were, they cried in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Now think about that. Look at this supernatural miracle. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of waves and the wind, Jesus comes walking by, and he's walking on water, but the disciples, they're so afraid, they think he's a ghost. Now, this is right after, again, let me remind you, this is right after the miracle of him feeding the 5,000 or 25,000. Jesus immediately had put them in the boat. Remember, he compelled them, and here they are in the middle of the storm. Do you think that Jesus didn't know there was going to be a storm? He knew exactly they were going to go into a storm. 
And he immediately got them because he didn't want them to bask in that miracle. Because how many know if that miracle would have happened to us, fish and bread, it would have been tortas for a week. Am I right? Fish and bread, ceviche, am I, am I talking right here? You know, filet of fish, all that. We would have been saying, man, we're going to hang out here for the next two weeks, Jesus, and, and then we'll get on the boat later. And Jesus said, no, no, get on the boat right now. And he compelled them to get on the boat. And so here they are. They're on the boat. They're roaring. They're struggling. They're fighting against the waves and, and, and the wind. And they're in the middle of this storm. And the Bible says Jesus is about to pass them by. And they scream in terror. They're afraid. These are fishermen. These are men that have been out in the dark seas. But man, now they're crying out like little kids. Ah! You know, all of a sudden it's Jesus. And they're screaming. They can't believe it. They're terrified. And I'm thinking, how could this be? How is it that they felt so scared and so afraid? Because Jesus came in a form that they didn't expect. See, sometimes we get all afraid because God doesn't show up the way we want him to show up and in the way we want him to show up. And he doesn't look the way we thought he should look. Are you hearing me? We thought, you know, God was going to do it this way and that way. And so the Bible says they're screaming. They're, they're in terror. They can't believe what's going on. They're nervous. How many have ever been at your house at 3 in the morning and you hear noises and your imagination goes wild? Somebody's trying to get in. And then you, you look and you see the bushes, but you thought you'd seen, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger's face. You go, oh, my God, what, what is that? You're trying to see, what is that, you know? And, 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 and it's all of a sudden, you know, uh, you're thinking it's a ghost. How many remember scare tactics? Man, all of a sudden they're scared. You go, are you scared? Are you scared? And they go, yes, yes. You shouldn't be. You're, you're on scare tactics, right? So here's Jesus. He he, he, they're, they're screaming, and look at what he said in Mark chapter 6, verse 15. Because they all saw him, were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, hey, don't, don't be afraid. It's only scare tactics. Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Mark chapter 6, verse 15. And so all of a sudden, Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's only me. Why are you, so, why are you letting your imagination go wild? Why are you letting your emotions rule the day? And then look at this next part. And I, I, I need to rush here because I'm, uh, I'm going too slow. Matthew chapter 14 adds a little bit more to the story. Again, all the gospel gives us a different perspective. But look at Matthew 14 adds more to the story. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then what happened? G Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the water and what? Walked on water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And what happened? He began to sink, they think. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. And he said, what? You of little faith, he said. What? Why did you doubt and when they had climbed to the boat, the wind died down. All of a sudden, everything calmed down as soon as Jesus gets in the boat. Am I right? Then those who were in the boat, what? They worshiped him. You better start worshiping at that point. Truly, you are the son of God. Now, this is a tremendous miracle because Jesus is not only walking on the water, 
But suddenly Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's you, give me permission to go out to you. And Jesus said, come. And he came and Peter is also walking on water. That's pretty powerful. And the Bible says, though, but he began to take his eyes off of Jesus. Most of us know this. He took his eyes off of Jesus, began to look at the wind and the wave, and he began to sink. But I love what Jesus does. The Bible says immediately Jesus reaches out and he pulls them up out of the water. Now, I wonder if it, Jesus was pulling them out of the water, not to save him, but could it be that he wanted to save something that was inside of him? Because at least Peter was bold enough to get off the water, I mean, get on the water, right? Get out of the boat. At least Peter had some uh, boldness to walk out to him and the boldness and the assertiveness to say, let me go out there. And maybe Jesus was saving that in him to say, I'm going to need that later on because one day you're going to stand before 3,000 people and 3,000 people are going to get saved. So I need that in you. I don't want this to suffocate you. See, sometimes God is trying to bring out the fear in us so he can deal with some things in us. Can you say amen? He was saving maybe some confidence in Peter's life. And, and then he said this, oh, you of little faith. Now, here's what I want to get to right here. I want you guys to listen to me. When he said, oh, you, oh, ye of little faith, he's not talking about the, the amount of faith. How many know the Bible says if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain? So it's not the size of the faith. It's the state of his faith or the type of faith or underdeveloped faith. In other words, you have faith, but it's not mature yet. You have faith, but it hasn't developed yet. There's still some maturity that needs to take place. And so Jesus was telling Peter, or he was critiquing Peter's faith, and he was saying, you have underdeveloped faith. Why did you doubt? Your faith should have been a lot more developed by now. You've been with me two and a half years. Why is your faith and the state of your faith so underdeveloped? Why did you give into the pressure so quick? Why are you sinking already? Oh, I'm preaching better than you're clapping today. Hallelujah. He, he, he was critiquing his faith. He didn't say, you wicked wind. Jesus didn't say, oh, you, you know what, you wretched wave. He said to Peter, you know what, your, your faith is underdeveloped. He was trying to tell Peter, you know what, even in the midst of the storm, you don't have to control the storm. You don't have to control the wave, but you need to get a hold of your faith. Hallelujah. Your trust in me needs to be more developed. See, this is what I believe is going to get us to overcome doubt. If God is trying to bring correction to our faith, not our circumstances. God is trying to correct our faith and develop our faith because part of our problem this morning is we, mis we misdiagnose the problem. We think it's the circumstances, but we never look inside, and maybe it's our lack of maturity when it comes to faith. He said, you of little faith. In other words, because your faith is underdeveloped, you're drowning, you're drowning in doubt. Because of underdeveloped faith. Because you've not allowed your faith to mature. You've not put a priority on your faith. How many know our faith is foundational to our walk with God? We are saved by grace, what? Through faith. 
You cannot be saved without faith. You cannot trust God without faith. We know Hebrews chapter 11, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We understand that. But can I give you a simple definition of faith? Write this down. Here's a simple definition of faith. Faith is believing that and behaving like God is telling the truth. Is believing that and behaving like God is telling the truth. In other words, we need to believe God's word and believe that when God speaks, that he's telling the truth. Can you say amen? James chapter 2 verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, what? It's dead. Faith needs to have some action behind it. You can talk about faith. You can talk about walking in faith. But friend, is your faith developed? Does it have some action? Have you gone through some things? This is why we don't make leaders. Listen to me. This is why we don't put people in leadership right away. We need their faith developed a little bit. Have you gone through anything yet? Are you still a novice? Is it still underdeveloped? We, we, need, the, we need some things where it has built your faith. We need some action behind it. It's important because uh, uh, if we're not careful, we're mislabeling faith. And we're saying, well, I just have faith. No, faith without action is dead. See, a lot of people, they call faith optimism. No, faith makes you optimistic, but faith is not being optimistic. Are you hearing me? It, it says this in James 2, verse 18. Did someone say you have faith? I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So in other words... It's faith is believing and behaving like God is telling the truth. It is not optimism. It is not positive thinking. It is someone today that we're trusting. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Can you say amen? And I have faith because of God, and I put my faith back in God because of who he is. Some of us this morning, we could look at circumstances and seasons in our lives, and we have reason to say, man, I don't know how I made it, but somehow I put my faith in God, and I made it through. Amen. See, some of us this morning, we got enough faith to get out of the boat, but your faith isn't mature enough to, so that you could keep walking. That's what I'm talking about, underdeveloped faith. You have enough faith to stay, get saved, but you don't have enough faith to sustain you over the long haul. There's a lot of people, they come to God at the altar, but their faith isn't mature enough to keep them going for God over the long haul. The initial faith is not enough. We need sustaining faith. We need faith with action behind it. Peter's faith started out very strong, he got out of the boat, but it didn't last long. Are you with me? It was strong enough to get you started, but it's not strong enough to develop enough to withstand the winds and the waves. I see a lot of believers, man, you, stand, you start strong, but your faith never matures and never develops. And you can never sustain the wind and the waves and to keep you going. See, faith... Is when you have faith and develop faith, you can keep walking even though you have the even though you can see the boat. 
Even though that boat is right there, even though you have that behind you, even though you know you can go back into the boat, you keep walking because you have sustaining faith, you have developed faith, and that is going to cost you, or faith that is developed is a process. Doesn't happen overnight. You have to have a process of trusting God. It's the decision that you make that brings faith into action in your life. You make decisions to do things that give you more developed in your faith or have you developed more in your faith. You're making decisions. God, I'm going to trust you. It's a process. And many times we miss it in Scripture. And if we're not careful, we can let our faith float away. You need to have some sustaining faith. So here's these last things, and write these down real quick. I'm going to go fast, as fast as I can. To develop faith, we need the, uh, to know who God is. I said, you need to know who God is. If you're going to have faith to get you over the doubt and unbelief in your life, you need to know who God is. A lot of us this morning, we say, well, I, I know God already, Pastor. What's the next point? No, let, let me go right to this right here. Faith, to develop faith, you need to know who God is. Peter said this, know who God is and what he does and what he's able to do. You got to be able to trust in that God. A lot of people use his name in vain. That don't mean anything. You got to know who God is. You got to know, see, a lot of people, they know, they know God as Jehovah, but you don't know him as Jireh. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's the Almighty. He's, uh, he's Jehovah. He's the healer. Uh, God is the one that provides. God is the one that sustains. God is all-powerful and almighty. Do you know God that way? Hallelujah. When Peter said, Lord, he is suggesting that, that Lord, I know that if I come to you, you will begin to erase the natural laws of science. It doesn't matter that water can't hold me up, but if I come to you, you are Lord. You're above all the natural laws. You will, you will discount those natural laws for that moment for me to come to you. And the Bible says that when Jesus said come, he was walking on water. Can you say amen? So God is able to orchestrate things, do things in our life, even supernatural things when we trust him and we know him and we say we just don't know his name, we know his title, we know what he's able to do. So we've got to have faith enough to know who he is. The second thing, are you with me? You've got to know that God is telling the truth. Say truth. I have to know that he's telling the truth. This is what I'm talking about this morning. When we really have faith this morning, we're believing and behaving like God is telling the truth. Jesus said to Peter, come to me. Did you hear me? Say, come to me. He, he came to Jesus as soon as Jesus said, come. He moved on faith. So faith, again, is believing and behaving like God is telling the truth. In other words, faith has this deep conviction that no matter what's going on in life, God's word is true. Doesn't matter what's happening, God tells the truth. Can you say amen? When God speaks it, I'm going to believe it. Listen to what the scripture says in Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not a human, thank God, that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. How many know we change our mind all the time? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise 
and not fulfill. Did you hear what I said? God is saying, I don't change my mind. I supply all of your needs. I don't change my mind. When the enemy comes to you like a flood, I'll raise the standard against him. Amen. I will do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or think. I have not changed my mind. And then it says here in verse 20, I have received the command to bless, and he blessed, and I cannot change it. So it's important to know. Listen to me. It's important to know. That when we put our faith in God, he doesn't change his mind. Are you ready for this? It's important. My, my faith is built on truth and not on facts. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to show you this this morning. As we get to ready to close here in just a few more minutes. My faith is built on truth and not on facts. So what is it? Facts are my circumstances, right? What are our circumstances right now? This is our circumstances Truth is what God says. So my facts cannot change the truth. Are you with me? But my faith in the truth can change the facts. Hallelujah. Did you hear me? My faith in the truth can change the facts. So friend, I want you to know many times, yeah, it may be, this may be our circumstances. They may be facts. This may be your situation, that is fact, but when I put my faith in the truth, I have found that God is the God of the supernatural. He can change the facts, hallelujah. This is why when we come to church, we can't look at just the facts and our circumstances. We got to put our faith in the truth. And when we put our faith in the truth, that changes the facts. I said it changes the facts today. See, when you come to church, you got to begin to allow God to change your mindset and begin to get you to trust in God and get you to have faith in the truth, not faith in the facts. Because I'll tell you what, yeah, the facts are the facts. We can't change that. But if we put our trust and faith in the truth, he can change the facts. Hallelujah. Sometimes, man, we got to get out of that mentality. I mean, so much negativity and and we're so pessimistic. You know, the Bible says that the word of God is like water. It washes. It cleanses, right? Sometimes we need to let the word of God just wash our brain. Amen. We, we need a little brainwashing. Can you say amen? A spiritual brainwashing. We need like a, a spiritual car wash. Amen. Where God, and when we come and we begin to listen to the word of God and we say, God, wash all of that junk. How many know the devil is a liar? He is. I mean, it, 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 he's incapable of telling the truth. So the scripture says he's a liar. But here's the question today. Are you treating God like one? Are you treating God like a liar? See, when we put our trust in God, we got to know that he's telling the truth. And the last thing, and I think this is the most important one, if you, if you weren't paying attention earlier and on your phone and playing games, here, listen to this for the next five minutes. I think it will help you. Okay, we got to be able to believe God for what he's done already. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, when I think of that, I'm thinking, well, I know why he doubted. Man, there was water, there was wind. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'd have been panicked too. I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, you're really asking, is that really even kind of a weird question? 
Why did you doubt? I mean, don't you see the sea? Don't you see the storm? And, and Jesus said, well, I'm walking in it. But that's not what he said. I'm just thinking, man. So here, think about this. Faith is not a denial, okay, of reality. Faith is consistent belief in God in spite of reality. Are you hearing me? So here it is. He's asking Peter, or he tells Peter, why did you doubt? And I think Jesus is saying, listen, man, if, if we take the whole day, you were just with me just a few hours ago, maybe eight hours ago, and I fed 25,000 people. Why did you doubt? You were with me the day before that, and I healed the blind. You were with me the, the day before that, and I healed the sick. So why are you doubting? What Jesus is teaching, listen to me, this is very crucial. In order to develop strong faith, it needs to be linked and tied to strong memory. A lot of us this morning, we forget what God's already done. Christians are the best for spiritual amnesia. They've forgotten all the miracles that God has done, all the deliverance, the time they got saved. They're a lot better than ever, but they're just thinking about the moment. Well, I ain't got a job right now. I ain't got a job. What am I going to do? Well, what were you doing before? I mean, God saved you. He, he brought you this far. He didn't bring you this far to leave you, right? And so there are times in order to have faith to sustain us in the future, you have to look back at God's faithfulness in the past. Are you listening to me? It requires you to uh, change the labels many times because you don't realize God was working in your life. A lot of us say, oh, that was luck. That wasn't luck. That was God. Oh, man, I remember this happening and all these different things. And in your spiritual maturity, you need to recognize those moments where God moving in your life. And you, you've mislabeled those moments as luck and chance when in reality it was God. I, do I need to adjust this? Am I good? Am I all right? Because there's some stuff in your spiritual journey that you thought it was luck. It was actually God. And so if you want to have strong, mature faith, you got to have a strong memory to God's faithfulness that it's not luck or chance. And you got to be able to say, I don't know why I got through what I got through and why God chose me, but you got to be humble enough and, 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 and basically surrendered enough to recognize it was God that got you through it. There's a term by John Wesley. It's called prevenient, pre, prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is this. I'm going to read it to you. It's God's grace at work in your life before you knew what grace was and before you even knew who God was. That's prevenient grace. In other words, what got you to where you're at today, it was the grace of God working in your life before you even knew it. In other words, there were moments in your life that you should have been dead, that, man, you got close. You said, what happened? It was God prevenient grace working in your life already, touching your life, setting up moments so that when you came to him, he was already working in your life. And see, you mislabeled it as chance. You mislabeled it as luck. And really, it was the grace of God working in your life. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't luck. It wasn't chance. It was God working his miracle power. He's still doing it today. You need to remember what God's done. 
and how far he's brought you to. Can you say amen? amen? Maybe we need to stop acting like faith is illogical, and maybe we need to think about doubt being illogical. You have more reason to believe that God is than to doubt who God is. Are you with me? See, God maybe has not given you everything, but man, at least God has given you what you need and given you more than you deserve. Am I right? And when we start looking back at God and say, God, you know what? Man, Jesus was saying, Peter, hey, what makes you think I was going to let you sink? Have I ever let you down? We sing that song. He'll never, never let, let you down. How many of us mean it? How many of us can remember? Is your faith growing? I want the worship team to come up. Listen to this real quick here as we close. How do you know your faith is growing? Because it takes you a lot longer to sink and a lot longer to go down and faster to come up. What do I mean by that? How many remember when you were first walking with God Man, the slightest problem, the slightest issue, you'd fall down. You'd be sinking. It'd be over. You're going to quit God. But now you're at a point where, yeah, it may, it may cause you to sink, but it takes a lot longer for you to get down there to that discouragement and disappointment, but a lot quicker to pop right back up. That's when you know your maturity. But if you're still sinking real quick, if the moment you run into a wave or a battle, then your faith is not matured yet. You're, you, you're that person of little faith. But when it's taking you a lot longer to sink, man, there are times when you find yourself in disappointment and discouragement. Man, but you're sinking, you're sinking slow, but you pop right up a lot quicker. You've learned today to overcome that doubt. You've learned to have faith that is mature. This is why I believe what Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. We need to keep fighting for our faith. We need to say, God, I'm going to fight. It's going to be a struggle. Lord, I'm going to trust you despite all that's going on in my life. I'm going to trust you despite all that's happening. I'm not going to drown in doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to get over this faith fatigue. Are you with me? And God, I want to have mature faith. I want to have faith that is developed. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.